You are Locked On Hawks, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Hawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 58 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and with the benefit of having a guest on today's show, you will not have a long intro from me, and instead, I will bring in today's guest. His name is Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for Washington Post. What's going on, Tim? Hey, man. Happy to be here. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, I was just, We were just talking before we started recording. You've moved out to the Bay Area, get ready to cover a lot of the Warriors. I know you're still doing National NBA stuff, though, so uh, busy time for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a lot's been happening, but uh, but it, it's it's been all good, and I'm I, you know like like we both said before uh, before we got started, it's 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 good. The NBA season is here, and, and I'm ready to get going. Should be a lot of fun. Absolutely, you know it's 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 officially game week. Uh, the Hawks don't play until Thursday, and of course this is a Hawks centric podcast. So a couple more days, but Tuesday's a little appetizer for everybody, and I'm excited to get to get to the arena on Thursday night as well for the home opener for the Hawks. Uh, I guess we'll start with a guy I know uh, you and I have actually talked about offline a lot, um, but I want to get your take on Dennis Schroeder. He's sort of the guy, um, aside from Dwight Howard, who's the biggest story, who I will certainly ask you about. Uh, Schroeder is the other uh, new addition to the starting lineup and a guy that the Hawks are going to be heavily reliant on this year. Uh, what are your overall impressions of Schroeder, and do you kind of think he's a long-term starter at point guard? I think a lot of people are sort of split on that, especially nationally. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Schroeder fan. I, I would I would lean towards uh, saying that he's not a guy that you would really want to build around long term. I, I think to this point in his career, he hasn't really proven to me that he can run an offense effectively. Um, you know, you go back and look. A lot of the time when he was on the court, you know, the Hawks just weren't as good as when he wasn't, which isn't a great. Great sign. Uh, you know, that, you know, I, I don't know if that, I think that held up last year. Definitely was the case two years ago. I know when they were, when they won 60 games, he, whenever he came in, things to tend to go off the rails and he was bad during the playoffs. So, um, you know, he, he, you can see why the coaching staff, I mean, Mike Budenholzer's always liked him more than Jeff Teague as far as I understood it. And I, I think you can see why, um, why that would be the case just because the, the athletes, that Dennis has and you can kind of see the potential there to really be a, a really interesting player but I, I just think to this point he hasn't quite put it all together now the one thing working in his favor is he's still a young guy he's been relatively healthy um so he's still got all his athleticism and he, and he, he should be improving his decision making as he gets older so you know would it surprise me if he's given the reins to the team and he takes a really big step no it wouldn't shock me um but I, I think he, I think he, I, this, at least for me, I'm in a position where I need to see, see him do it on the court, kind of show me he can take that step before I'm going to assume that he can. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty interesting. Locally, I find that most people are really kind of buying Dennis, but nationally with guys like you cover the whole league, I think people are a little bit more skeptical just in general, which is kind of how it normally is, I suppose. But Yeah, and he's an easy guy to buy into. Like I can see, like I said about the coaching staff, like, I mean, Jeff Teague's a very good player. He's also a very placid personality. You know, he's kind of he's always steady. Not gonna not gonna rock the boat either way, which I think in a lot of ways is a really good thing, and I think helped that Hawks team a lot. But he's also not gonna really engender a lot of excitement, right? Whereas Dennis is 
all energy and athleticism and kind of flair plays. And they're kind of a, a yin and a yang to the two of them. And I, I could definitely see why why people locally, you know, who are fans of the team or just people who are around the team would be excited about the chance to see Dennis play for 82 games because he is, you know, he does bring a very attractive, fun style to the court every month. You mentioned Mike Budenholzer as well, and I think, you know, with him and Wes Wilcox running the show now, Schroeder's sort of their guy versus Teague was the previous regime's guy. And while, you know, Budenholzer had Teague for his entire time here, uh, it was pretty clear to me that that was always the case where it was when Teague was going to go, what, what yeah. it was yeah. always going to be. Uh, Schroeder is a guy, you know, at the same time, Bud's kind of been sick of Schroeder at times. We've seen him kind of disappear especially in the playoffs at times, but uh, I'm interested to see that for sure. And I think defensively, this Schroeder definitely has the possibility of being better than what we, what we saw from Teague last year because Teague was kind of hobbled and Schroeder had the better defensive numbers last year. And as, as, as we talked about, more athletic, longer, more explosive, or you know, just a more intriguing player. We kind of know what Teague is. It's always the shiny new object, I guess. So I sort of get it. I just I've been kind of preaching uh, all all off season that I think the Hawks are going to take a step back at point guard, especially in the aggregate. Because last year, I mean, for as, bad, for as much as we kind of are not buying Schroeder, he was an above average backup, I would say. And now that now now that he's a starter, they're going with a, a relatively unproven guy, Malcolm Delaney, who I actually like. But I think the overall position is pretty solidly going to be downgraded. Yeah, I mean, look, I, even with my issues with Dennis as a player overall, I mean, him as a backup point guard was good. And now you go from having a good starter and a good backup to maybe a good starter. And, you know, who knows what Malcolm Delaney will be. I, I agree with you that I thought that was a, a nice signing to kind of take a low-cost, low, low cost, uh, you know, low-cost, low-risk buy on a, a guy like Delaney who got a great, a great run in the EuroLeague. But... Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you can't look at that position and, and assume that the, the Hawks are going to be better this year. I think you have to assume they're going to be worse. And if they're as good or better, then it's a nice surprise. For sure. And uh, of course, the, the other big one is the one I already alluded to at center. Uh, your, your top 100, uh, which dropped this week, which I'll let you talk about more if you want to uh, actually uh, kind of, uh, I won't say trolled Hawks fans, but you, you had you had Al Horford 27 and Dwight Howard 28, and I thought that was pretty funny, uh, side by side. Uh, I think that, that's actually pretty reasonable in my view, but of course the big question is going from Horford to Howard and what is going to be different for Atlanta. But I guess before we get into specifics, like, you know, were you on board with the Dwight Howard uh, option and the idea of it for Atlanta, or were you kind of like me and thinking it was uh, more of a short-term, you know, stop-get move to kind of just pacify some people, et cetera, et cetera? I, I didn't – I I mean, it, Atlanta summer was confusing to me. That's a good word right? for it. <laughs> it, was, it was confusing. Like, everybody knew that Al Horford was only staying there if he got a five-year max and the full max. That was the case for over a year. That sure. was pretty well known. Then Atlanta didn't offer him the max ever. You know, they, they, they you know made it seem like at times I think that he was going to get closer to going to the Hawks, but I, I'm I got a pretty pretty good understanding that he never got more than like the five for one thirty that they initially offered him, and then, you know, then they're like talking about having him and Dwight playing together and trading Paul Millsap, which then made Paul Millsap mad, which you and don't want to do, Paul, <laughs> right? Now I mean I think Paul Millsap is. You know, uh, it's too early to tell now. Who knows? Maybe the the Hawks turn around and offer him a five year max. But I, I to me, it's going to be hard to keep Paul Millsap with the Hawks after next season, which maybe you don't want to anyway, because uh, he is going to be thirty two. But 
they're not going to be able to keep him unless they pay, overpay him now. Um, this, you know, they might not have been able to before, but they're certainly not now that he's upset at them. So I just, I didn't quite understand overall what they were doing. Now, I think if you just look at signing Horford instead of, or sending, signing Dwight instead of Al, taking a, taking out Al's place in the franchise's history, um, I, I think they made, they did good business. I think they're similar level players in talent right now. Um, Dwight obviously has had his issues in the past, but I think being with Atlanta and, you know, this is a, this is a chance for Atlanta to kind of show that their, their affiliation with P3 will pay off for them. You know, if they can help Dwight get back a little of the athleticism that he's lost, I think it could really help the Hawks a lot. Um, one thing Atlanta, as you know, has really struggled with is rebounding in general and specifically defensive rebounding. Um, Dwight is still a monster on the boards. That's something Al never really was. Um, so I think that I think he's got the chance to really help the Hawks in that sense. Um, obviously, Atlanta's the offense is going to be a little different going from a guy like Al, who, while not great at everything, you know, kind of the beauty of Al's game, as you know better than anybody, is he's really good at just about everything. And so, you know, that allowed them to do a lot of, you know, fun stuff with him and Millsap and run, run a lot of the offense through those guys, you know, Dwight ideally is going to get some early in the clock post-ups and then run a lot of pick and rolls with Schroeder. Um, so the offense will look different, but I, I think it's got a chance to be just as effective as before because it, it is a little bit of a different look and it gives, it gives the Hawks, I think more of a plan B that they never really had before. So, um, you know, I understand why people would be skeptical about Dwight. He comes with some baggage. Al is a great guy. He'd been, kind of the face of the franchise for a long time. So it's going to be weird not seeing him on the Hawks anymore. But I think it's got a move that's, you know, especially because they paid him a lot less money over a shorter contract. I think it's got a move. That, it's a move that's got a chance to work out pretty well in the long run for Atlanta. Yeah, I think the contract is a good point because, you know, you're getting, you know, I wouldn't say you got a bargain on Dwight, you know, paying him $24 million a year, but it's only three I mean, years. You look at you look at what some of these other guys have signed for, and it might be fair to call it a bargain. I mean, yeah. I'm not talking about Al, but you're talking about some of these other some of these other contracts that have been signed this summer, I mean, you know, comparatively, I think you'd probably rather have Dwight than a lot of the guys that the money he's getting. Yeah, it's certainly a, it's certainly just fine. Like at, at the worst, it's not a bad contract. I think it, I think you're uh, you're on something there with sort of the value that it brings and the length. I mean, it's only three years versus you know you would have been paying Al unquestionably five or he wasn't coming back. And I think right. you know back to what you were saying before about Al. I think for me, the feeling I got was that they kind of just were already planning on letting Al go and wanted to sort of maybe if they, maybe if they got him to sign a a below market contract, then sure. But I think they knew the whole way. This is my opinion, of course. Not this is not source, but I think they knew that it, it, unless they gave him the five year max, he was probably going to leave. And you know, let just letting oh, him. They, they had to. I mean, yeah, Brad, they had to know. Well, I just mean, just, just letting like, him go. If like, people like I, if people like me knew that, like, right? They, they knew that. And just letting him go for nothing without putting up any sort of fight is bad PR, I guess. So they have to act like they're trying to sign him. But and the whole right. thing, and, and, I mean, the, the ultimate thing for me is that they went out and signed Dwight before they dealt with Al. Like, you had to right. know. Like, I mean, I know Al's been trying to play power forward supposedly behind the scenes for for a little while now. But guess what? He signed in Boston where he's playing center again. Right. Well, and that was the weird. Like the weird part to me was the way it played out. Right. Like you said. Like if you want to sign Dwight and say, look. You know, we we didn't. Th- you know, we we wanted to go in a different direction. Like Al's had a great career here, but you know, just wasn't going to work out money wise. Like, 
okay, like that's fine. I, I think people probably would have understood that. You've got Horford and Millsap, and you just go forward with that, and all the stuff we talked about with Dwight's contract, everything makes sense in a vacuum, right? But then, like, the weird part was then, like, the, the fate to bring Al back, which I don't think ever had a chance of working, then led to Millsap being like, what the hell are you doing with me? Now why am I getting thrown at trade rumors? Like, then, you know, like, then all that stuff happened. And now he's mad. So uh, that was the part that I thought was weird. You went from just replacing Al with a guy at a similar talent level for a cheaper contract, which makes sense, to then now uh, aggravating the guy who was your best player last year, who was also free agent in the year. That, that was the part that I didn't get. It just, I just thought it was odd, odd roster management at that point. It was, a, it was a very weird few days, especially there was that like three-minute period where Woj reported that Al was going to sign with the Hawks to, to, play, <laughs> to play with Al. I mean, right. to play with Dwight, and it was like, right. okay, well, and then they're going to trade Paul, and it was all the rumors, but, you know, Millsap's the kind of guy who's going to keep his head down and play hard. I'm not worried about that. Right, just, he's, he's, gonna, he's a total pro. Um, but, like I said, you, you have to wonder, you know, at, how long is he, you know, how long is he going to be there? You know, is he going to, like, to me, is, is Paul Millsap going to be on the Hawks on March 1st? I don't know. I mean, to me, if the Hawks are a middling team this year or in the lower part of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, it wouldn't shock me if he gets traded. I mean, that's probably they probably should trade him if they're going to be if they're somewhere in that seven seed range, which is where I think they're going to be. They should trade him. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're going to be somewhere in the four, five, six, seven, eight range. You know, I think they could be. (laughs) I think I picked them to finish. I mean, I think that group's all kind of similar, right? Agree. Yeah, I had. I had Detroit as a clear four. I really liked Detroit a lot. But now with this Reggie Jackson news, you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about the Pistons. Um, so I think that, you know, whether it's Atlanta or Washington or, um, or the Hawks or, or, yeah, Atlanta, Detroit, Indiana, uh, Charlotte. Indiana Charlotte, Orlando, yeah. even if you want to, even for people that are optimistic on teams like the Knicks or the Bulls, like Ooh. that whole group. You know, I'm not I'm not as high on the last couple teams, but right. that whole group you could kind of throw into a pot and it's going to come out in a bunch of different orders depending on injuries and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are going to be teams that are going to be hot after out for Paul Millsap, even if it is for just a couple months. And I, I think he's leaving anyway. So if it doesn't look like they have a chance to make another run this year, I, I would I would try to move on from him and get some assets at least. Yeah, this is too simplistic, but I don't think you can go into two straight off seasons and lo- and lose your max level player for nothing two years in a row. Well, I don't think that's I don't think that's too simplistic. I think that it's true. Like, it's just bad asset you know, management for, for yeah, an organization that yeah. really values that. Like they can't like they can't afford to do that again. Right, like they they trade Jeff Teague for a first round pick, right? Which was the like, right move, I thought. I mean, which, even though it's, I like Teague, the, which, but right. I mean, and look, they probably should have traded Al Horford. Oh, like, in retrospect, they, for sure. <laughs> I mean, if, no, but I'm saying, like, if they, like, look, I think we, I think we know that they weren't going to, to pay him what, what they were going to have to pay him. So it, that's why, like you said, to me at that point, it's like, all right, if you're not, if you know you're not going to give him a five year max, then you probably should have traded him because you, that team wasn't going anywhere last year anyway. And, you know, that, that's the part where I think things get a little weird, but. You know, at the end of the day, 
swapping out Dwight for Al, at least you're not really losing an asset as much as you're just you're you're staying kind of the same level, I think. And frankly, on Dwight's contract, he plays well for them. He could become an asset anyway. So, um, but but the Millsap thing, you know, it's going to be hard for you to do that with Millsap, and and that's where you know I think if you're not, I think if you're not, uh, I think if you're not really rolling this season and, and the Hawks aren't on pace to win, you know, mid fifties and be a top four seed and win a series, then I think you have to go, all right, you know, is this time for, uh, you know, is there a time to maybe move Millsap here and really try to restart things with, you know, some of the young wings they have and Schroeder and, and, you know, and, and then you've got Dwight and you need maybe have some more money to go out and sign somebody next summer. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Before we get off the Dwight thing, I do want to ask you, how do you think the Hawks are going to change the way they play? I mean, I think offensively it's pretty obvious with more pick-and-roll stuff. But even defensively, they were so good defensively last year, especially in the second half of the season. You know, Dwight's kind of different from Al for a number of reasons that we already talked about. How do you think Bud's going to change up the defense? It's sort of been a point of contention around here to kind of predict that. He's not really shown a ton in the preseason, as he shouldn't, I guess. But uh, what kind of tweaks do you see them potentially doing to kind of maximize Dwight versus what Al used to be able to do? I, yeah, I mean, that, that I think is going to be really fascinating to watch with them. Um, I think that if you look at if you look at the Hawks, I mean they they've been a team you know like I was saying before where they've had these two bigs in in Al and, and Paul that could do everything with the ball and handle the ball and shoot the ball and so they could run kind of this free flowing five guy offense and move the ball around and everybody could touch it you know and now they're going to have to become I think a lot more of a traditional NBA team with a lot more post ups or not not a lot more post ups oh lord um, please, please no more post ups well, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do they're gonna do more post ups with Dwight just because you know Dwight is effective at least at drawing fouls and he's gonna want some post ups so they're gonna do that but what I meant to say was a lot more pick and rolls and you know that's gonna I I would have to think that running that one five pick and roll with Schroeder and Dwight with Corver and Millsap and and Bazemore around the perimeter space in the floor, I, I think that's got to become really the basis of their offense. And then you can still run some stuff through Millsap a lot of the time, have him be the guy on the second unit and that kind of stuff. But I, I, to me, I mean, maybe you disagree. I, I, I think that, you know, if you're going to sign Dwight, to me, that's the point is that you've got a real gravity big that could draw defenses in on the roll. And then you've got a bunch of pretty good shooters around him to knock down shots. For sure, and that's the plan, I think. You know, Mike Budenholzer's been asked a ton about how he's going to use Howard, and, like, there's always the stuff with Dwight about, you know, his, his, his Instagram videos with him taking jump shots, and he's taking a few, like, right. like 18-footers, and it's like, oh, please don't do that. But, you know, uh, Bud's kind of laugh that off and really emphasize the pick-and-roll, and Schroeder really is a pick-and-roll guy, too. Like, he's not the same. I think with Teague, you had more of a ball mover, whereas Schroeder is, uh, I think Schroeder and Dwight, like you said, it's, it's a lot of pick-and-roll-centric stuff. Uh, the shooting around him is not, I don't think, as, as good as people think it is in Atlanta. Uh, outside of Corver, he's really the only knockdown shooter. Yeah, they have some shooting, obviously. Paul Mosap can shoot. Bazemore's a pretty good shooter. But nobody else is really like dynamic out there, so that kind of worries me a little bit. But hopefully, Dwight's ready to play pick and roll on a regular basis because, as you talked about, he's going to want some post-ups. Maybe he'll want to take a few jump shots, which worries me. Uh, that kind of stuff, but hopefully he'll he's buying in uh, at least at least with with lip service at this point. You know, Dwight. That's the worry with Dwight is that he's going to want to get get his touches more than anything else. But if he just kind of does what he's supposed to do, I think the offense can certainly work. I think the offense has got a chance to be pretty darn good. I mean, if you're if, if you have Dwight running the pick and roll and he's willing to do it, I mean that could be really effective. And look, I mean 
you're right. With Dwight's history, there's always a chance that he's not going to be willing to listen to that or he's not going to want to do it. But at the same time, you know, given everything Dwight's been through, like if he if he isn't willing to, to kind of conform to what they want to do and try to improve his image now, then he's never going to. So um, This is the one, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's coming right. home, he's coming, he's he's coming coming home back, and everything. Right, he's coming back to Atlanta, and he's, he's playing. He chose to go there. You know, he didn't take a max contract, like, it, it's all set up, right? Like it's time for him to do. It's time for him to do what, um, what they need him to do, and we'll we'll see if he we'll see if he does it. Yes, we will. That's that's the big question, of course. All right, we'll move move on from the from the big guys and kind of hit on a couple other things. The bench has been a big uh, question mark, at least in a lot of people's minds. Uh, kind of what it's going to look like, a, and whether it's going to be any good. B. The Hawks are also going to only carry two point guards, which they announced uh, earlier today, officially, it seems. Uh, what do you think about the bench? Like Guys like Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry, of course, are the, are the rookies, first-rounders, but Bud is not really a big rookie guy, at least in his, uh, at least in his Atlanta past. And you, know, you have Tim Hardaway Jr. is around, the guy who I don't like much, but people seem to be high on. Uh, what do you think? What do you make of this bench in general and kind of all the uncertainty? And again, also, you know, is it, is it crazy to carry two point guards only going into a season? Because people around here sort of think that, and I'm not sure they're crazy either. Uh, I do think it's kind of crazy. I think, I think given how often teams want to play two point guards now, you, you kind of need three. Um, you know, just, just, I, you know, I, they can come up with another one. So it's not a, it's not a crazy thing, but, um, but yeah, I would think you would like to have a third ball handler to just have more options to get out there. But, but that is kind of, you know, nitpicking stuff at the end of the roster. But, um, no, I think, I think their bench has a lot of guys that need to need to prove things. You know, you've got guys like Delaney and, and Hardaway who, you know, both, you know, both are, you know, enigmas for different reasons. Delaney because he hasn't been over here and Hardaway because he hasn't really done it yet. And the Hawks basically traded a first round pick for him Ugh. after he had a, Oh, so so rookie year as it was, and you know that was a that was an odd trade at the time, and it's become an odder trade since, uh, especially considering Mason Plumlee was traded for a first round pick in that same draft, and I think it's safe to say that Mason is a, a pretty far superior player to Tim Hardaway. At this Tim, point. That, that's a very it's a very kind description to say it was an odd trade. That's a very yes. very kind way. Well, it. It, it was as someone who was saying that at the time as it was made, I thought that's a very odd trade. <laughs> it's remained that way. Um, but look, you know, it's time for him to step up and really make plays for them. And then you've got you've got the two rookies uh, in in Torian Prince and, and DeAndre Bembry, who both I both like, and I think I think could be intriguing players for them. So I, I think it's I, I think the Hawks are betting on Hawks University, right? They're betting on this this the, their coaching staff's ability, and who knows how much of that was up to Kenny Atkinson, who who's since gone to coach the Nets, um, you know, one of the best development coaches in the league, but. They've really prided themselves on being able to turn guys into players. And, you know, they did it with Kent Baseball, who they kept. And now they're hoping that they can do it with guys like Bembry and, and Prince and Hardaway and Delaney. And if, if they can coach those guys up, then, you know, they've got a chance to have a really good second unit and maybe be really good. And if, if they need time to develop and they're not good right now or right away, then the Hawks could be looking at, you know, a 7-8-9 spot in the East. Like, I, I think... You know, I think besides just needing Dwight to be healthy and the guy and needing Schroeder to be good, I, I do think that they need that second unit to be able to be solid and give them some contributions that, you know, as of now, they, they have a lot of guys back there that are, that are unproven that they can do it. 
Yeah, especially on the rookies, I think it goes back to where we were talking about before about sort of what direction the team's going to go in. Because if if you're fielding your best team right now, I don't think either one of the rookies is in the rotation. Uh, maybe Prince, if you squint hard enough and kind of uh, paint the right picture with him as a sort of a, a 3 and D guy who can play some power forward. But other than that, I think it's pretty safe to assume that those guys are going to be on the outside looking in to start the season. That's the right move if you want to win. Right. But if you turn right. around in February and you want to you know, trade, trade Millsap or trade Corver, Cephalosha, and kind of look for the future, then you might be seeing a lot more of those guys. So it's going to be quite interesting. I think it's pretty safe to say that they're going to be on the outside looking in. And Hardaway is, of course, the guy. I'm sort of famous for being very low on Hardaway. But, I mean, I know you didn't cover the Knicks, but uh, being in New York, I'm sure you got the Hardaway, the Hardaway experience in full and uh, kind of saw what he can and can't be but you know he's still 24 maybe the light comes on Hawks University uh, after another full I mean he had a full year and year one did not go great but maybe another offseason and the light comes on he becomes a functional rotation player maybe somewhat (laughs) well I mean that's the hope right I mean that's certainly what the Hawks bet on when they traded for him and we'll see if he is Uh, you know I'm I'm not I'm not a huge fan of his game Uh, he hasn't really you know I think he you know, it's probably going to sound harsh to people, but you know, he seems a lot like Nick Young to me to this Ooh. point. Like, you know, guy who can get his own shot, but isn't really going to do a lot else for you. I mean, to this point, he hasn't really proven he can do much else. You know, Nick Young got a few contracts in the league and has hung around for a long time because he can get his own shot. And there's a there is a value in that. But, I mean, Tim Hardaway is not a great defensive player. He hasn't shown much ability to create the ball or create shots for others or himself or put the ball on the floor. I mean, I, I don't know. I just haven't, <laughs> I just haven't seen a lot that's impressed me. And look, he's you. young enough. He's young enough and has enough of a pedigree that that could change. And you know, I think it's, I think it's always foolish to write off players, especially young players. You know, look at Hassan Whiteside, right? Like that guy took him six years, but he figured it out. And, you know, I think it's always possible for the light to come on for anybody. Um, but I think Tim is getting to the point now where, you know, it's, it's getting to be put up or shut up time where he really needs to show that he is a, you know, a quality NBA player because, you know, he's getting to the end of that rookie contract. And, you know, even in today's marketplace, if he really wants to get a big offer on that on his second contract, he needs to start showing he can do stuff now. For sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's all. You, you danced around that one nicely, but Hardaway is a definitely interesting character. Uh, one more question before I get to go to your official predictions, which I'm, I, of course, have to have you do at the end. Uh, one top top 100 question, I guess, because as I mentioned before, you did this exhaustive top 100 list. That's awesome, and everybody should definitely go check that out. I'm going to link to it in the in the uh, post for this podcast. But appreciate that, man. Uh, how close was Kyle Korver to the top 100? That's uh, the only guy who didn't make it in the starting lineup. For people that haven't read that yet, Schroeder and Bazemore both made the cut along with Millsap and uh, Howard. But uh, was was Korver close? Uh, sort of on the borderline or always off? Corver would have definitely been comfortably on the list uh, going into last season, but he was so bad last season that, at least by his standards, that I couldn't put him on it. Um, you know, he he's obviously an older guy now, but more importantly, he had that pretty awful uh, ankle. I think it was an ankle injury, right? Was yeah, it, wasn't surgery. A foot, right? It was ankle, an ankle right? Yeah. Um, so that really knocked him out of that whole summer. He's always known as a guy that really goes crazy working out in the summer. Um, you know, so I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm really curious to see what happens with Corver this year. As a shooter, he's a guy that could stay good a lot longer than guys who are more reliant on, you know, 
really having to get by people or do different stuff. He's a very smart player. Um, but if he if he's like he was last year again this year, then I think you have to start wondering if he's kind of just hit if that ankle injury kind of just began his descent and he's now just a guy in his mid thirties who can get some shots up but can't be quite the player he was before. Because the thing that made Corver so special as a shooter was how he could come flying off these screens at a million miles an hour and catch the ball, go right up and shoot. And like, if you're a step slow and the guy has a chance to catch up to you, your shots a little more contested and just go in as often, then I think his effectiveness starts to dip a bit. So that that's the thing I'm really curious to see if he can get somewhere back to where he was two years ago or close to it, then he'll be on this list next year. Cause he, He's such a fun player to watch, and he, he's such a good shooter that um, if he can get back to that level again, he's he's definitely one of the hundred best players in the league. Yeah, I mean, he, you, you probably you could probably talk me into either side with Corver. You know, I've I've done the optimistic argument with him was that you know he got better than, better in the second half last year. He had the ankle thing that you talked about, um, and yeah, it's know. just impossible to know. Like, and, it's, well, he's, you just he's, don't he's, know which it's going to be at this point. If he's thirty five. Right, yeah, that's I what mean, I mean. Like, it's impossible to know if. You know, if the age 34 season will, can come back or if or the age 33 season can come back or if the injury just kind of kick-started what was going to come anyway. It's just kind of hard to tell. And I think now that he's had a full off season to work, you know, he, he was healthy, you know, he was relatively healthy last year. He should have had – I'm pretty sure he got to do his regular – and you know better than me, but I'm pretty sure he got to do his regular off-season stuff. And, uh, you know, now if he, if he can come back and look – look like the player he was before, then, you know, I think it, it's, you know, it bodes well for the Hawks. And he'll, like I said, he'll be on this list because he, you know, he, like J.J. Redick, are just two guys that I just love to watch play because they, they're just so, they're like Ray Allen. Just Ray Allen from 32 to 40 or whatever year he stopped playing <laughs> yeah. was just, he was just the same guy all the time, right? He, he just was so precise in everything he did and was so good coming off screens. Like those guys that can, whether it was Rip Hamilton or Ray or those two guys, like, it's just so fun to watch those guys run through a maze of screens and come out the other side and shoot the ball. Like it's just a, it's kind of a lost art. And, you know, I, I really enjoy watching them. And my hope is that Kyle is great this year because he's, he's a really fun, really fun player to watch when he's hot. For sure. All right, Tim, before I let you get out of here, I have to get your prediction for the, uh, where the Hawks are going to stack up this year. I think you teased it a little bit earlier, uh, somewhere in that four to eight range, but, uh, is this, is this a team that could win, you know, high forties or 50, if things go right, is this a team could, could they miss the playoffs? If things go wrong. Where are you at with the Hawks this year? I, I mean, I think both of those are true. Like I, I think I picked them to finish fourth in the East and lose to Detroit in the first round in four or five. Um, but I, but I think they could go anywhere from four to nine really. Um, you know, I don't think they'll be too far out of the playoffs unless they have serious injuries, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think best case scenario is, you know, Dwight plays like an all-star and, and, you know, Schroeder is good and Corver bounces back and like everything looks good and they win, you know, maybe a little more than last year, get to 50 or low fifties and wins and, you know, maybe win a round or two in the playoffs and they get the right matchups or, you know, Howard and Schroeder don't really fit in very well and there's some chemistry issues and maybe they trade Paul or, you know, even if they don't, there's just a lot of dysfunction there and, and they win, you know, 38 to 40 and, and miss the playoffs. I mean, I think they have enough talent and coaching that they're, they're not going to be terrible no matter what happens or unless they just trade everybody. But I, I also think that, you know, the, the, there is enough of a variance given some of the personalities involved and what they're trying to do that, 
it isn't exactly clear what their what their final outcome is going to be. For sure, I'm kind of with you on all of that. It's going to be a very interesting team to follow. Um, I can't imagine anybody listens to this podcast that doesn't already follow your work. But if they don't, tell them, <laughs> tell them where they can find you, my friend. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Um, I'll try to try to annoy all of you all the time. That seems to be what all Twitter is good for. It's just angry, angering people. So absolutely, um, I'll, I'll try to do that. And uh, I think I'm going to start. I think I'm starting a newsletter also. Um, so if you follow me on Twitter, you can see notifications for that, which I think will come out uh, once a week and have a bunch of my work in it and a bunch of other people's work in it just from around the NBA. Uh, kind of get your week started so, uh, so people can look for that. But, yeah, my work is all on Twitter. You can go to the Washington Post. Hopefully you get a subscription to the paper. Uh, I think, uh, you know, whether you like basketball or not is one thing, but, you know, there's other stuff going on in the country. I think I don't think I think everyone knows what I'm alluding to as far as the election goes. And <laughs> yes. uh, my, I'm I know I'm biased, but I think my newspaper's done a better job than any organization in the country are covering it. And I think that will continue regardless of who wins uh, as things go forward. So, if you're interested in politics at all, or interested in basketball or whatever else, I, I would go get a subscription to the Washington Post. But, um, but yeah, that's that's my deal. Oh, and your podcast too. Plug the pod. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I have to have you on at some point this season when when things inevitably go the opposite of what I've said on here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I do uh, I do a podcast called Posting Up. Uh, comes out episodes usually come out Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, try to get people from all around the league uh, the wide perspective on things. So yeah, if, if anybody anybody either liked or was annoyed by what they, I said here, you can come listen to that and either enjoy it or be annoyed by me. It's like I said, it seemed. Lately, like you, you mentioned that top 100 list, and I appreciate the plug, but it's always just funny. Whenever you do stuff like that on the internet, it just becomes a scream fast with people either being angry about where guys are ranked or who isn't on the list or this guy should be higher or lower or whatever. It's, I mean, it's the fun part of those lists, but it's also uh, it's also just a, an, a doorway into the the nether regions of the internet that, that are able to come out in opportunities like that. So it's, it's always just, interesting to see how that unfolds. It's just got to be... I always try not to nitpick those lists because it's you know ranking. Sit down and rank a hundred guys sometimes. See how easy, see how easy that is. Yeah, that's what I want to tell everybody. Is like go just sit and try to find the top one hundred. Like figure out who the top one hundred players are. It like after about the top twenty, it's impossible. Well, and it's like, like position position by position. Like you're comparing like Dennis Schroeder to you know Mason Plumlee. It's like good luck with that, man. Like. I don't know. It's yeah. I'm with you all the right. way. I'll, like, I'll defend I, I you. I was gonna say like where I was just I was just gonna think like where like Dennis. I think I think he was on the list. Yeah, somewhere. he's like he's like 77 or something. I looked it up. Right, he was 77. So right, so Dennis Schroeder is between Thaddeus Young and J.R. Smith. Like what is like I, I don't know. <laughs> sure, sure, right? Yeah. Like how am I? Like I think he's worse than Ricky Rubio. Agreed. I think he's better than Tony Parker. Like those are the two point guards on either side of him, right? That but sounds like, right. But I, I it, like the point guard, like position list, you can kind of do right because it's like like for like. You go, okay, I think this guy's better than this guy, and you can kind of figure that out. But when you're trying to compare centers and shooting guards, or power forwards and point guards, like I mean, at some point you're kind of like these guys are in a group, and I'll just like whatever the number is, like that's the number, but. Yeah, it's 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 a fun exercise to do. Like I enjoy the two things I try to do going into every season is I, I try to at least come up with some kind of I've never published one like this, but I try to come up with a, a top 100 list and I try to rank the teams um, in each conference in order because I do think if you 
are going into the season, it's kind of a good way to think about. Like it gets your, it gets my brain retrained for the NBA again after I take a few weeks to try to do other stuff in August and early September. But I think it's also good because it gives you. I think it gives you a clear perspective of where everybody sits. And you know, I know some people like my friend Brian Winhurst go crazy and they don't like to make predictions and they think it's stupid. But refuse uh, to I, actually. Well, yeah, case. I, yeah, I know Brian's a clown, but as uh, <laughs> so much as I love him, I made him come on my podcast. And they made him do a whole bunch of predictions. It was great. I was first, and then he got, yeah, he got very angry, which is fun. But, uh, I, I think they're important though, because, you know, for like a team like the Hawks, right? Like we just said, their range is 40 to 50 wins, probably good or bad. So if you go into the season with an idea of where you think a team is going to be or where a player is going to be, then if they do way better or way worse than that, then you can go back and say, all right, was I wrong about this? Or did something happen to change where I thought things were? I, I just think it's good because it gives you a baseline um, to look at. And, and in your own mind, you go, all right, well, this is where I think things stand. And then if things change, you can readjust and, and figure out what you messed up. But, you know, like you said, it's just go try to rank the top. 100 players <laughs> yes. and just see just see see who you're throwing in at the end when you're trying to put it together it's it's uh it's it's an adventure i don't envy you my friend so thanks thanks for doing that as a reader thanks for doing that and uh <laughs> well, appreciate... thank our artists people yeah see, it was the, great the, the art the artwork is incredible we got a great we got a great staff of designers so it worked out great for sure go, go check that out thanks again for coming on sam will have to do it again down the road if you're able i appreciate absolutely. it absolutely absolutely brad would love to Thanks again, man. And uh, for everybody else, stay tuned for the next episode of the Locked on Hawks podcast. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.